Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to a somewhat delayed edition of Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Don't blame myself or Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. Blame all those elite golfers battling it out until 8 o'clock on a Monday night at the British Open at St. Andrews. Oh. They just refuse to be beaten. Well, except for all the guys that got beaten, but the three players who ended up in a playoff refuse to be beaten. Ken, the day began alive with possibilities. Could Paul Dunn from Greystones become the first amateur to win it since Bobby Jones? Back in 1930, would Potter Carrington win his third Open? Could Jordan Spieth go for it? Go three for three in this year's majors? Well, the answer was no, ladies and gentlemen. Your winner is, after a long day's golf, Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson. And I'm afraid that after today's events, um, the mere sight of the claret jug uh, arouses in me um, uh, a reaction... Uh, similar to that, Jane, uh, that which James McLean feels when he sees the <laughs> the poppy, or you know, he he wakes up in a cold sweat, having having dreamt that he's just been, uh, you know, wearing a Union Jack suit down the West Bromwich High Street, and uh, that sort of that feeling of of cold uh, horror that he feels towards these offensive symbols is pretty much similar to what I feel when I see that ugly trophy. Would you refuse to acknowledge the trophy if it say did a tour through the Irish Times offices here? If the union, if the claret jug, claret jug yeah. was to do a tour around the the offices, I would turn your back on it. Turn my, I turn my back on it. Everybody else would be so obviously glorying in it. I mean, they'd be kissing the thing, and I, you'd just be standing there in the middle of in the middle of the office. Well, no, I'd I'd I'd, I'd uh, force my way into the circle of people standing around admiring it and turn my back <laughs> on it. And if they were moving it around, I would walk backwards with my back to it, mm. in order that everybody got to see what I thought of it. That is that's how I feel about it. At this time, I'm going to talk to Lawrence Donegan in a few minutes about it's, it's Zach Johnson's second major. Maybe he should be cut a little bit of slack here. I mean, it's not his fault. He's not considered one of the greats of the game or one of the great personalities of the game. But we'll get. We to can't all be Tiger Woods or Zach Johnson's caddy, who of course is a personality. Well, um, I think he is providing most of the personality of this duo, uh, Damon Green, the caddy, who has a patented move. Owen. It's a birdie dance. That's what I'm led to believe. He's doing the bird. He, I, think, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a birdie. Sometimes the bird is even a, a special kind of bird, an eagle or an albatross or one of these types of things. But just the birdie alone at uh, particularly important moments 
Damon Green will drop the birdie dance. Mm-hmm. And essentially what he does is he extends his arms horizontally and sort of waggles his, his hands up and down, imitating, I think he thinks, the movements of a bird in flight. Does he use the golf flag for a ballast, a little bit of ballast? Because that would help a bird dancer, I would have thought. You well, know, if, if you rest that in the shoulders, rest either wrist over the flag, you well, should then be able to really get into the... He doesn't always do it. Uh, he sometimes, it's just his hands, he just wangles his hands. That's, that's the basic move. Today, he did have the golf flag uh, kind of over his wings, as it were, uh, in one at the end of one wing. So it's creating, you know, it's more like a man who's, who's made a bird wings, crafted them from wood and wax and strapped them to his hands. Uh, he was waving a little handkerchief as well. Uh, none of this really managed to create... Uh, you, you wouldn't really have known that he was trying to do a birdie dance, to be honest, though, if he hadn't done it many times before. But he has, and that's maybe the best-known thing about Zach Johnson, whose personal website, ZachJohnsonGolf.com, crashed as all over the world. Journalists like me rushed to find out more <laughs> about this winner. of it, Even though he's won a major before, uh, you know, eight years ago, and people were, were still trying to find out more. Uh, so uh, it still hasn't, hasn't returned to action. So... Uh, we don't we don't really know much about this guy. Monaghan's win over Donegal uh, was a result of the weekend of provincial football finals, but there's no doubt about the speech of the weekend. For some reason, a lot of people think that these post-match formalities should be done away with, that they've nothing to offer to top-level sport in 2015 when uh, one of the Blazers... They never call Blazers in, in Gaelic football, even though they do wear Blazers. Anyway, the, they hand over the trophy. They maybe give a couple of perfunctory words of congratulations and then the... Um, uh, captain gives an uh, oftentimes quite bland speech. Well, none of the people who knocked this tradition had reckoned with the president of the Connacht Council, Mick Rock. Not content came with those perfunctory words. He gripped that microphone tight. He, he seized the day and belted out a Churchillian address to his people. I want to thank our referee, Parik O'Sullivan, and his team of officials for contributing significantly to a sporting encounter. I also want to acknowledge the stadium committee here in Hyde Park, the officials, the volunteers, the guardian, and everybody who contributed to making this occasion run off as smoothly as it did. I extend my commiserations to Sligo. The day did not work out for them. The day we're going to have to leave you there, Mick, for the time being, because this is this just runs, and that's only a snippet. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll leave Mick Rock there for the time being. We'll actually run that speech in the background in real time, but keep the volume down and maybe just turn it up later on, turn the volume up, check in on Mick Rock to see how he's getting on a little bit later, if that's okay. He, uh, it was amazing. I mean, you know, it's, it's stunning. The speech just went on and on and on. Can you imagine the ego? Seriously. The day didn't work out for you. Sligo, by the way, Sligo, in case you're not following the championship at the moment, did concede six goals and 25 points or whatever it might be. So that, that is the understatement. The biggest understatement in the history of Connacht GA is that the, uh, the day didn't quite work out for Sligo in 2015. There are all of these people waiting to see this. All of these people are waiting. And you, Mick Rock, decide this is my moment. This is my, I did see a little bit of this type of thing, I suppose, that the FBI... AGM as well. well. That was at the weekend, yeah. Com- committee chairman. Uh, you know, and I thought to myself, does this speech really need to be this long? Couldn't you get on with it? Well, at an AGM, at an, I guess that's... I thought then, you know, look, this is, to, to, you know, to be fair, maybe for, you know, the chairman of this committee, this is his time to shine. 
this is his moment. This is the moment maybe the whole year has been leading up for. And, and I suppose the, the impulse to want to thank loads of people is at its bottom. While it might be a boring impulse, it's also, uh, it's fundamentally a generous and decent impulse. You know, you, people have been laboring. People have been laboring in the shadows. Too often their work goes unremarked. This is the moment when, those, when that work will go remarked, remarked at length. You know, that situation, though, at a stadium, you know, it's not, it's actually really not about you. Nobody knows your name. They do now, exactly. I suppose. Mick Rock, and what a name. But it's not, this moment isn't about you. Please let the players and, you know, the fans just get their, uh, share that moment together of the, of the trophy. Before we kick into the golf, it's time to share some good news that we received today from the good people at, the, at iTunes. Right, they're celebrating 10 years of podcasting and they've named the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast as one of their favourite shows of that decade. We're delighted to be in there and I, for one, am looking forward to the celebrations, Ken. What a party this could be. We'd be hanging out with Melvin Bragg from In Our Time with Melvin Bragg, uh, Sarah Koenig of Serial Fame. Uh, a lot of questions I'd like to ask Sarah Koenig. Uh-huh. I mean, guilty or innocent, obviously, is the... What's your real, what's your real good feeling on this? This Adnan character at this point. I have a feeling, yeah. James, your pal James Richardson could be there as well from Guardians Football Weekly. Well, I hope so. And and Barry Van Denning and and, uh, Jacob and all the boys. So thanks to, what were you going to say about Sarah Koenig? I just say that she probably is ready for a different different question. (laughs) She (laughs) might get a little bored with that opener. I think maybe, yeah. I mean, I respect your work, Sarah. But, you know, uh, let's maybe talk about something other than your work. I guess she's been talking about her work uh, in quite a lot of uh, those uh, uh, those formal social situations. I mean, I don't mean formal. I mean informal acquaintance, and meeting new acquaintance, and you end up talking about that. Maybe she maybe she'd appreciate a different angle. What's up, what's going to be on series two, Sarah? Mm. That's what everyone else wants to. Yeah, well, you know that that too that might that might work. Uh, but if you, big thanks to everyone for supporting us over the last couple of years since we started the podcast. You can check out our Twitter feed or go onto iTunes and have a look at some of the, I know people like to uh, ask for a few recommendations, uh, so you can have a look at the rest of the top ten. Don't fear outside the top ten. That's my recommendation. Uh, or don't well, fear outside this podcast. You know that would probably be what I what I should say. But yeah. uh, no, there's some some great ones there. We might all have to make way though for a new kid on the block. You've heard about Seth Blatter's next career move. Um, Sam Wallace tweets, Sepp Blatter says that after he quits FIFA in February, he'll become a radio journalist. I think radio is the most popular form of information. Blatter says his radio show will focus on his <laughs> hobbies of geography and politics. There's so many radio stations, <laughs> someone will have me, says Sepp. Uh, by, by radio now, I assume he means podcasting. And I, for one, welcome the new Irish Times geography show with Sepp Blatter. I would, I would hire Sepp Blatter in an instant, although he might be a little bit expensive. I would. Are you telling me that you would not listen to at least the first five episodes oh. of Sepp Blatter's Sepp Blatter geography, and, Sepp Blatter and geopolitical show? Yeah. I mean, but Hugh Linehan, Hugh Linehan has inside politics wrapped up, but I think there could be a spot for an Irish Times geography show. Well, I mean, in, inside politics. Maybe Hugh would, would co-present. We could, we could check it out. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, I think that I think Sepp Blatter would be, you know, ge- geography and politics. We don't have a show... Uh, we don't have a show that's that's doing that specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not one hosted by a former FIFA FIFA president. president or we don't have a show that does that here at the Irish Times. Not yet. Uh, so who knows? He is right. Somebody will take him, and uh, it could even it could even be us. Lawrence Donegan has been watching the golf. Lawrence uh, Zach Johnson, are you overwhelmed? Underwhelmed? How overwhelmed are you by this? 
What do you want? Do you want the politically correct answer or do you want the truth? <laughs> uh, give us the. We we'll go for the truth this time. Oh uh, well, I mean, uh, he's a decent player and all that, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's that's two majors. He's won one at the Augusta National and one at the Oak Course, so he's a fair player. But um, he's not exactly the um, the sexiest winner, um, especially when you measure against what what might have been. Uh, you've, I mean, the story. I mean, Johnson wins the headline, but the story of the week clearly is Jordan Spieth, isn't it? Uh, he came within a. Well, a five foot, a missed five foot putt in seventeen of uh, making the playoff. And if he'd gone, if Spieth had gone into the playoff, you would have had to fancy him to do that. And if he'd done that, uh, you'd been three legs into the Grand Slam, you know, which is just historic stuff, especially considering the quality of golf, standard of golfers around these days. But again, um, you sum up just what I've said for the last minute. There is if, 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 <laughs> and none of it came true. And we're left with Zach Johnson, so um, fair play to him. I mean, I just watch him here, and uh, he's just crying on TV. Uh, so, I mean, it's just astonishing stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Like, really, I mean, it was a great day. So, um, and I'm not, uh, you know, I mean, again, we'll say it, Zach Johnson. But, I mean, that's, I mean, as I say, he's won two majors, one at Augusta, one, one of the old course. He's some player. No, I think I know what you mean uh, in terms of describing him as maybe not the sexiest player, but I would like you to maybe articulate a little further. I mean, what is it that we're looking for in these top guys? As you say, it's a second major. We're familiar with them. His putting was incredible in the last few holes today and right in for most of the playoff as well. I suppose Zach Johnson, if, if Zach Johnson were listening to his chat today, Lawrence, he'd be saying, what more do I have to do here? Well, no, and he would be absolutely dead right, but I'll ask you, I'll, I'll come back to you and say, you know, put Zach Johnson in a line-up tomorrow at uh, the police station down there in Dublin, and, uh, you know, how many people are going to pick him out of the line-up? That's, uh, well, he's the guy yeah. who looks a bit like Joaquin Phoenix. That's the only way that, uh, that people generally get these things. You're kidding me on, aren't you? Joaquin Phoenix? I don't, I, I don't see it. Uh, you know, he's just another one of these He's actually a bit different. I was going to say he's one of these kind of prototype American PGA Tour players who kind of trundles along, makes $50 million and doesn't really make much of an impact. Again, that's incredibly unfair. But he doesn't have, you know, the... You know, he doesn't have that. So there's just something, isn't there something, you know, you can't quite put your finger on it, but when you, when you see it, you know it. You can recognise it. You know, Rory has it. Uh, Tiger obviously had it. And, uh, you know, Spieth... For, for all that he is a slightly kind of anonymous-looking American player, he kind of has it as well. There's just something about him. There's a charisma. There's a you know a quality that you know elevates him. And 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 Zach Johnson, he doesn't. You know, and again, I hate to d- dwell on the negative in this, given that the way he's played this week and he's and he deserved his win. But you know, you're asking the question. Mm. I just think that's a, that's a, that's the difference. The, uh, I was following your Twitter feed, Lawrence, and you seem to have quite an issue with the incident on the 15th when he was tapping down his... Well, we don't know what, what exactly he was tapping down there. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a... Again, if you want a quick bout of golfing history, uh, back in 93, Pebble beats the US Open, eventually won by Tom Kite. And, you know, it was a very curious, a similar kind of thing in the, in the closing holes with Kite. You know, he reaches over and he taps down. You're not allowed to tap down spike marks. It's a kind of one of these curiosities of the rules of golf. You're not allowed to tap down spike marks. You're allowed to repair uh, um, ball marks. And you know, you know, who knows? I mean, there's a European tour player called Simon Dyson was banned early last year for tapping down spike marks in front of his putt, uh, and he was, I think he was banned for three months. And again. I don't know. Um, my only issue was it would be quite good to get some kind of clarification on this. 
Um, you know, what was it? You know, was it a spike mark? Was it a ball mark? I mean, nobody seems to know, but nobody's, you know, there's nobody, nobody said anything. There doesn't appear to be any kind of explanation. Uh, again, it's just a curiosity. And, and this is, um, you know, this is just a thing. It's a recurring thing on, on when you watch, you know, PG Tour or European Tour. There seems to be a certain, it's largely self-policing and, and golfers kind of, seem to take advantage at the margins. And I'm not saying that Zach Johnson did anything wrong. I'm just saying it, it was very, very curious to, to, to see and it would be quite good if somebody kind of cleared it up. But well, that that was all. Yeah, and that, we're speaking literally minutes after the end of the tournament. If By the time people, some people are listening, maybe there has been a bit of an explanation. Uh, Jordan Speed, you talked about him there. It seemed so set up for him. He hit this oh. monster birdie on the 16th. We were sort of laughing over here. Uh, it might have been different, Lawrence, in the US. I don't know. But there was so much focus, not just in Ireland, but in the UK, on Paul Dunn, largely, uh, because he was obviously uh, you know t- tied for the league going yeah. into the last round. But it seemed as though somehow Jordan Speed was going to be allowed to get to a point with a couple of holes to play of the Open uh, of being on the verge of winning it without actually coming under too much pressure not that many people focusing on what was the really historical part of things here it seems so set up for him and then he just let it slip over uh-huh. those last couple of holes well the putt uh, I mean he's putting this week well he's putting generally that's his compl- you know that's his strength and he's putting this week well he had, I think he had a four putt on the eighth early on the day on the par three um, so his putting was you know not quite what it usually is but then that putt on 16, that, that's absurd. You know, you think about the pressure that's you know, exerted at that particular moment, and you, you hold a 40, 50 footer, that takes him right in it. And then you get on the net, I mean, golf is mental. You go on the, he's on the 17th, he's, he needs to hold a four or five footer for a, for a par, and he misses it. I mean, no wonder it drives people crazy. And then again, he—I mean, at 18, I mean, he hit one of the worst drives of the week. I mean, it was like something I would have hit, you know. And then he leaves his ball in the valley of sin and puts up and almost holds it for for birdie. Um, yeah, it's, um, he was kind of a bit like the U.S. Open. There's this phrase that kicks around, you know, you can backdoor something, you can back backdoor a win, i.e., you just can come in under the. You know, again, not to use the cliche, but I will uh, back under the radar um, and. Yeah, it was your your point is well made. He kind of snuck in there, and um, perfect because you want. Well, you look at the look at the pressure that the poor Paul done. You, you know, uh, standing in the first tee, the poor kid, uh, and I absolutely understand. He looked absolutely petrified. You thought and so the, even before hitting his first tee oh, shot, did you? God, yeah, absolutely. And the, well, he hit. I mean, the two, I mean, his tee shot was. Uh, you know, up here, the, uh, it was almost as bad as Tigers in the, fir- in the first day. Uh, you know, he duffed his first two shots and the first so. And again, uh, not a criticism. Uh, perfectly understandable. I mean, if you're a, um, if you're an amateur player, you're leading the Open. I was kind of just surprised generally about the, you know, just the chat today about Dunn's performance. Oh, he kind of. You know, he collapsed or whatever. I, I just don't see it like that. You know, you, you know, you, to, to, yeah. I think he finished four under for the day. But I mean, I would prefer to sort of look at it and say, what an incredible performance, given the amount of pressure, uh, the, the spotlight, uh, playing in the last group. Uh, it's just uh, overall just brilliant. I mean, you'll have a really, uh, you know. If you're asking me how's he going to, he's obviously going to turn pro. If you're asking me how he's going to do, I, I would say I'm not a huge fan of his putting stroke, but he's had a great career as a college player in the states, uh, good pedigree, 
great performances. I think he finished, you know, top four or top five, fourth or fifth in the NC2A Golf Championships this year. Uh, he's going to have a, you know, he's not a McElroy. Uh, he might not even be a McDowell, but he's a he's a really good player. And you know, I'd rather accentuate, you know, all the great things he did over the last five days rather than kind of focus on. You know, well, it was an understandable uh, glitch, as we'll call, we'll call it a glitch, will we? Yeah, well, it was a seventy-eight, a, glitch, a yeah. six-over par glitch. But in six fairness, over, it, it yeah. looked it looked early on as though it could have been worse. The, yeah, the well, second well, tee, and a lot of people might not have seen all this, but on the second tee, he ended up he had to hit three balls. Yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> the one of the three that he actually found miles off to the right was, was the first one, so it only counted as as, as one shot. Oh, he's in good company. I've hit three balls off that tee as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, do you know what though? He he bounced, but he came back from that, didn't he? Um, middle of his round, he, he picked up a few birdies. Mm-hmm. He did really, really well. But uh, just watching the uh, presentation ceremony, the irony of all of it is that he didn't win the silver medal that mm-hmm. they give to the to the leading amateur. It went to Jordan Nebringer or something, some American kid. Um, so that that was a bit of because that silver medal is a you know for these kids or I'm not even some of the amateurs aren't kids. But for these amateurs, that silver medals are really big. Rory won the silver medal, you know, in uh, 2007, the year that Harrington won at uh, Carnoustie. So that's a pretty prestigious honour. And, uh, you know, I think he deserves, well, nobody deserves anything in this. But he'll get for a 54 for whole performance. It would have been great to see him push through and win the silver medal. Shame that he didn't. Potter Harrington finished, unfortunately, with two sixes and two fives in his last five holes. And he looked furious with himself at the end of it how much of the gloss uh, is taken off because uh, first few holes it looked as though Harrington was a man on the charge how much of the gloss is, is taken off him being back in contention by the fact that he, he finished so poorly do you think well he was in uh, he's in good company Adam Scott I think he finished I don't know six five four six six. I mean something bizarre as well um, you know, brilliant I, I mean Harrington was tied for the lead at one point I think or if he was one shot then he had that I think early doors he was he was tied for the lead or one shot behind something like that yeah, I think he was tied yeah. for the lead yeah yeah well, was, there was so much going on uh, when it was really hard <laughs> to remember who was where yeah. um, but he stuck that I think his tee shot in the six he stuck in a gosh boost uh, I, you know, a great effort I think from Harrington again uh, he, but you just wonder if you know he's, I think he finished tied 18th or tied 9th somewhere around there and then maybe that's just a reflection of, of where he is these days um, you, you know that's his absolute level best and, and he and he finishes tied 20 or top 20 at a major that's pretty good going I, I can't remember how old he is is he 46 or, I, I'm not quite sure but you know look at the players that are coming through Jordan Spieth is 21 years old look at these amateurs I think there's four amateurs under par, three of whom have broken the scoring record for amateurs at a major championship. More and more, it seems like golf is getting, you know, they used to say that your peak was in your 30s. Um, I'm not so sure now, maybe it's in your 20s um, for, for golfers and for Harrington to, to still be competing. I mean, you remember, he won on the PGA Tour last year, I think he won the Honda Classic. So for him still to be competing at this stage, and, and clearly, there was a great point actually earlier, I think he he made a birdie in one of the early holes, and he's it was that classic look of Harrington. His eyes were mm. like saucers. It was it was fantastic. It just took me back to the the good old days. He was, uh, you know, again. I just wonder, you know, maybe that's where he is, and that's and he finished. He's uh, where he finishes a reflection of, of of his standing in the game. We'll let you get back to Zach Johnson's tears there, Lawrence. Thanks a million. No bother. All the best, mate. Yeah, Lawrence could be right there in the in the age profile. It does look as though. Well, Zach Johnson's no spring chicken, I suppose. But in terms of the players who are starting to dominate the game, they seem to be getting a little bit younger. What do you make of my Joaquin Phoenix lookalike? Lawrence seems stunned by it. Well, 
I guess he's, he's got the boat in front of you there. Yeah, he. I mean, he looks a little like Joaquin Phoenix. It's it's because he's got that slightly shortened upper lip, which Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix has got the scar there. Yeah, and um, he's got the he's got a slightly you know he's got a nose and chin in the manner of Joaquin Phoenix. So essentially, his but entire think, face is exactly like Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, that's a, that's no. a solid lookalike as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix is, you know, a celebrated actor. He's got an interesting face. Yeah, there's a bit more character in He's his He's got face, those maybe. kind of slightly satanic eyes. Mm. And Zach Johnson's got a boring face. He's a good golfer. He's not, he's not, it's not about the face. With Zach Johnson, it's very much about the golf and also the effort to... Are you sure that's not just because that that's how he's perceived? If Joaquin Phoenix was a golfer. Would I be reading an interesting face into the face of Zach Johnson? Yeah, if now, he was acting in similar movies. I don't think so. <laughs> I, re- I really don't think so. Joaquin Phoenix just got a little bit of a, an air of, uh, of brooding mystery, which is absent from the face of Zach Johnson, who is, as I repeat, a very good golfer. And congratulations to him on winning that ugly trophy, that horrible trophy which I can't, that I can't bear looking at even now without getting a chill down my spine. Personally, I wouldn't accept it. Personally, if I won that tournament and they tried to give me that trophy, I'd turn my back on it. Uh, or at least stand there with my head bowed, refusing to acknowledge what they were trying to do. But he obviously feels differently about it. To him, he doesn't have these associations. Uh, the the same associations that I have when I look at the Clark joke. He's accepted. He looks happy. Fair play to him. Mark James incurred the wrath of a nation when yeah, he's one of the BBC's co-commentators, former tour player, when he claimed uh, Paul Dunn as Irish yesterday, uh, on Sunday. Uh, sorry, he is Irish. Claimed him as British. Doing very well, this British golfer. Uh, today, he said, oh, I referred to Paul Dunn as a British golfer yesterday. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we're very inclusive here at the BBC. So we tried to make a joke. Didn't work out too well. Got a, a little bit more scorn poured on him on social media again. Uh, which brings me to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, Really? Uh, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? Have you read my link here? You see where I'm going? I haven't read you. I haven't read your link. No, I mean, as in, not read my computer screen here, but uh, oh, I see read my intentions. Oh, here. I see where you're going. I mean, look, this is just the kind of ignorance that you, that unfortunately you all too often get from British broadcasters at the BBC, uh, you know, other British, British broadcasters, who, frankly, Owen, their knowledge of Ireland, I don't think is that extensive. Frankly, Owen, I think their life experience is such that at any mention of Ireland, they're trained just to sort of... <laughs> yeah, they, they adopt a sort of a slightly polite uh, smile uh, and a glazed look comes into their eyes and they just kind of want to back away from the whole subject. Could that be because <laughs> bitter experience has taught them that there's really nothing good uh, can come of uh, getting into a discussion? That may be the case. But it's just this ignorance, this ignorance that, it's, that surrounds its own. Only earlier on today I heard some clown uh, claim that James McLean was born in Britain. What was his name here? Ken Early. Oh, I know the guy. Yeah. yeah. He claimed that James McLean was born in Britain. Of course, this isn't true. Uh, maybe this idiot. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, know if this, I don't know if this moron gets paid to, to go on air and say these ignorant, stupid things. 
right? I don't know if I don't know if he gets paid. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he shouldn't clearly because mm. it's lazy journalism. It's stupid. What kind of an idiot would say something like that? An idiot, I would I would have to say, who just momentarily confuses the words Britain and United Kingdom. Britain, of course refers to that, uh, that island, that slightly bigger one that looks as though it's reaching across with its greedy little paw to grab the smaller, I have to say, better-looking island. The smaller and better-looking, more lifelike, more Jelly Baby-like island to the left. Britain, something about it looks sinister. It's, it's long, it's kind of greedy-looking, it's clearly trying to grab onto us. Yeah, it's not any about that. Right? Uh, Britain is the word for that island. The United Kingdom is the word for the political entity which covers that island, a couple of the smaller offshore islands, but not this island, only a piece of this island. Northern Ireland is only a part of this <laughs> island, as, as Behop might say. Well, Behop once yeah, told us that uh, England is only a part of the world. It wasn't, it wasn't the whole of the world. world. And similarly, That's why he refused to come over and fight Joe Calzaghe. He's actually Welsh. but they were, <laughs> Northern Ireland is only a part of Ireland, but it is not a part of Britain as such. It is a part of... The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's why you've got Northern Ireland the name there. So I think this guy, this idiot, ought to apologize. He ought to apologize to the people he's insulted. He ought to apologize to, you know, for wasting everybody's time with that kind of nonsense, with that kind of rubbish, with that kind of ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, he, he ought to apologize. Hopefully he'll do it on the next uh, on the next edition, that's stupid, uh, stupid little program that I heard. Uh, yeah, well, in a nutshell, we talk about James McLean in the football podcast. So uh, have a listen. That's all about that. Down to Ushin. Oh, we talk, yeah, the FBI AGM as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. Don't forget, uh, don't forget the FBI AGMs in there. I know it's a it's a hot button topic. Uh, we talked about it for quite a long time, actually. And I know that if anyone out there realizes that they could hear us talking about it, they're probably, they've probably stopped listening to this podcast by now and clicked on the other one to hear us talk about that. After I know that it's well, something that excites people. Because then they'll miss our chat with Ushin McConville and Carol Mannion who are in studio. How are you, lads? How are you? Uh, we'll start with you, Ushin. You were up there yesterday for the, uh, for the Ulster final, which yeah. looked, uh, well, how impressed were you about with Monaghan? Because I know a lot of our talk is probably going to be about Donegal. <laughs> I was very impressed with them because, you know, we sort of knew that they'd match up more or less the way Donegal played. It, it was a very surreal game to be at. Um, warm. Not only warm, oh, and honestly, it was a game of basketball. That's really what it was. It, it was a. It was on a bigger scale. It was a game of basketball because both teams had had attempts to go forward for the first. Uh, certainly, the first six or seven minutes, Monaghan looked very, very nervous. But this, they actually settled then after that and, and played some good football. And they were able to get Conor McManus into the game. And when they got him into the game, they had some, they had some good moments, some so nice ba- moments. So basketball in what sense? Basketball in that one team had an opportunity to go forward. They either scored, kicked the wide, or were uh, turned over. The other team went down the bottom end of the field, same thing. One particular point in the game, Carl O'Connell's point. Uh, Donegal had 14 men not in their own half but inside their own 45 and Carl O'Connell was still able to get in the space and kick a point and I thought that doesn't happen Donegal mm. you know I said I said that to myself at the time and I said something not quite right and it felt a little bit like last year's all Ireland final as if Donegal were off the boil a little bit and yeah, especially in the first half Oisin, I don't know where you noticed it uh, on the TV was, I thought it was very obvious that when Monaghan did eventually get to the, the wall 
and they were set up like you do have the key in basketball. Monning kicked it over and back the pitch, but they had all their players really wide. Yeah. So if they moved it fast enough over and back, they, if they were patient, they were going to get those gaps. And they had a couple of line breaks like Karen O'Connell. They also had a couple of dink passes over the wall yeah. into people uh, over their head. Owen Duffy got a point yeah. from a little dink pass. So I thought Monaghan were better from the point of view of they were more patient. They kicked the ball over and back to pitch, which moved the Donegal defence quicker. They had to move quicker, possibly tired them out a bit. Whereas I thought when Donegal went forward, it was more hand passing, a little more laborious, and they weren't testing the Monaghan defence from that point of view, the way Monaghan were doing the kicking. I thought Monaghan early on were a little bit reactive as to, because they did a bit of, because Donegal had a bit of, uh, um, they prospered a little bit early on by the fact that they were able to get the ball to, into McBrady's hands and they were able to get Lacey into a little bit of, a little bit of space. I just thought Monaghan sort of thought, let's work out what way these boys are going to play, even though most people know, although I thought yesterday, oh, and honestly, they won't, Donegal, I've never seen Donegal as defensive and as incapable of getting forward and especially getting forward at pace and when they're not moving at pace they can look as ordinary well, as Well that's it else. yeah it was the tradition the, tra- tradition the transition as much as anything else I saw Jim McGuinness talking about this in his Irish Times column with regards to Westmeath against Dublin how they started well they had the right reasonably decent shape but there was a, they just couldn't transition it's all well and good defending but it's very hard to link that with actually getting forward at pace and with a sort of purpose Donegal just uh, is people are saying they look tired uh, and they're just obviously you have to be super yeah. fit to carry off that game I plan. thought the transition at the start though tie into what you're saying about Monaghan being nervous a lot of the, the quick transition that Donegal had at the start with McLean and Lacey going at pace was off turnovers because Monaghan were a little bit nervous uh, and they weren't set up the way they, they were for the rest of the half. I thought Donegal's approach play later on in the half was slower. Monaghan had more time to set up, and then Monaghan started getting the three-on-ones and the two-on-ones, and they were creating the turnovers a lot easier. Early on, I thought Monaghan were nervous. The turnovers were coming out of a position where they were exposed, yeah. and then Lacey was breaking into a bit of space. Well, it's funny you should mention Lacey, because I turned to the boys as well uh, at the match, and I said at the time, Lacey's back to his best. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like that, actually. Did. And, and for the first... 10 or 15 minutes he had a huge impact on everything that happened in the game even sort of off the ball and everything and he was organising and it just it just changed it changed very very quickly and, and once Monaghan got on top they were able to get enough scores now don't get me wrong they were clinging on for dear life at the end and Donegal were just unable to kick that score to get them Yeah, like Donegal, like you mentioned, got a bit more pace into the game second half with the McHugh's getting more involved and McBrady came out really the pitch only, a little more really pace only, to him. Really only three or four players from Donegal that really stepped it up in the second half. There was Midlin, I thought the two McHugh's, to be fair to them, and, uh, and Patrick McBrady. After that, didn't really mm-hmm. have a lot to offer. I mean, all the big players, Neil Gallagher tried hard. A lot of the big players let them down big time. Is, there, is that down to... I don't know if age profile is the right word, but fitness levels, maybe, do they, do they look a little bit less? Because, that, as I mentioned, the type of game plan they're trying to implement there requires them to actually be fitter than the other team, usually. And Monaghan are so well drilled that they looked like they maybe had that edge. Uh, partic- I suppose Donegal did make a little comeback towards the end. A little bit more fresh, maybe, and, and that's because they maybe haven't had as hard a, a few games as, as what Donegal have. But... I suppose, look, the argument always is that when a team is down... You look tired. Like that, yeah, <laughs> that, you don't, that you don't look fit. The first thing uh, is, yeah. we don't look fit. See, as a player, as a, as a Donegal player, you don't want to hear that because you know that you're going to have a horrendous week ahead of you. If, you. if somebody thinks that you're not fit enough, you'll try and... Fi- there's, there's, there's coaches that'll try and fix that in a week. And presumably they've done all the work uh, that they would have done in previous years, even under new management. 
Uh, yeah, well, I think one of the arguments Rory Gallagher had with the McGuinness uh, era, maybe he wanted to maybe taper it back a bit for yeah. certain of the older players. It'll be interesting to see whether he actually has tapered it back and it actually has affected them. I think the big thing for Donegal now is how they use Michael Murphy. Uh, three games in the last year with Aidan O'Mahony in the final last year, Justin McMahon and now Vinnie Corey. Uh, a man-marking job on him out the field has really curtailed his influence. Like I, You couldn't see him off-camera much in the first half because he wasn't involved, but I, I'd like to know whether he was making massive efforts to get involved in the first half. He did in the second half. In the first half, he just seemed to be jogging along with Corey right beside him for the whole yeah, first he half. Wasn't making, he wasn't making massive efforts. He didn't look to me that somebody... He had his, he had his knees heavily strapped, okay. and I think he had picked up some sort of knock. Um, I just thought, if that is the case, then why is he not on the edge of the square yeah. for longer? I mean, he literally spent, he spent the last six, seven minutes on the edge of the square, and that was it. They kicked one ball into me, won it among four boys. and I know it's not the, the route you want to go, but even when he was in, right, they played Derek O'Connor at full forward for 10 minutes. So Monaghan knew he's about, if he's five foot three, that's about, that's about the, the height of it. Um, but Monaghan knew that they weren't going to kick the ball into him. So Monaghan uh, moved out a little bit and met them a little bit quicker, met them about the 60 yard line. And had good success in taking the ball off them and getting forward. Didn't always get scores off it, but it was demoralising from a from a Donegal point of view. And then when they played Murphy, you could see Donegal retreating, and they were worried about the fact that he was playing in there. But uh, yeah, I think he didn't look at, he didn't look himself to be. A, to yeah, be I think if he's been man marked out the pitch where his influence has been curtailed in the last couple of games with those three people I mentioned. You might as well put him inside where he's going to be man-marked and he has a lot more influence. Those three people and also that, that same person, Vinnie Corey, has marked him three yeah. times now. I saw Declan Boak tweeting that, that he's been scoreless every time. And like you say, I suppose if you're out the field, you're less likely to be getting yeah. the scores anyway. But it does show that uh, he, he can be got at in that way, which is incredible when you look at how we were talking about him earlier this season. It's just one of the most influential players in the last yeah. how many years? And almost as though wherever you put him, out the field or in a full fort, he's going to make a huge impact, uh, which he didn't seem to do wherever he was yesterday. Certainly, I Just to pick up on Carroll's point, yeah. he just wasn't getting us forward as much. And mm. he was playing in that, at more or less at number six for, for a lot of it, but he wasn't able to, whereas he had been able to get forward and kick a few scores in previous games, he didn't look to have the same energy levels or whether it was the injury or whatever, but uh, he just... Couldn't get us forward, and when and when he's not having a huge influence in the game, and when he's giving the ball away, and McFadden's giving the ball away, and Lacey's giving the ball away, and Ty's getting robbed, and it just seemed to drain Donegal yeah. of confidence. Like, Ocean used the word demoralised. It's the first time in a long time you've seen Donegal get demoralised with the system they were playing. Yeah, it just wasn't happening for them. But it's interesting to see going forward they have massive scope for improvement as a group, and a lot of the, the top players. Are Jim McGinnis is probably happy enough. So. You think? I'd say so. In the fact that we're well, now his seeing legacy it, is yeah, secure, he, and I think that he was getting a, Rory Gallagher was getting a huge amount of praise of the fact that when McGuinness was there, that uh, that Rory Gallagher was the brains behind the operation. It's interesting that in any of the articles he's written or any of the TV stuff he's done, he's never name checked Rory Gallagher since he's finished. So there's obviously a lot of bad blood there. The Monon side of things. If you're a Monon supporter today, are you thinking that you're All Ireland contenders now, Kirk? Uh, I wouldn't be so quick to put them out Ireland contenders like within the confines of Ulster like ability wise mentally wise they can beat anyone including Donegal getting out of the confines of Ulster they haven't proven anything yet in Crow Park they haven't beaten any big team in Crow Park uh, like I know for example just in Connacht Mayo have massive knockers all the time but Mayo have beaten Dublin they've beaten a lot of the big teams in Crow Park like 
there's a big difference between beating teams within your province, irrespective if it's Donegal or not, and then beating those big teams in Crow Park. That's their big challenge now. Uh, whether they're capable of it, I'm not sure. I just think that they'll have to be a little more expansive and get more support to Conor Manus. The one thing, though, the one form rank they have, though, is that Dublin uh, League semi-final where they scored 16 points and only lost by one point to Dublin. That's very encouraging for them to have uh, to do something in Crow Park this summer. I think the only team that they can't, they don't have the capacity to beat is Dublin. Really? Yeah, I just don't think. I think they've, they had a mental block when it came to Tyrone. Um, the last time they won the um, two years ago when they won the Ulster Championship, they played Tyrone in the quarter final. Now, the caveat with that is that it was 25 years from the one the previous, so they did quite a bit of celebrating. I know that for a fact. And the game came a little bit too quickly for them. I know they'll be back training tomorrow night, and I know that there's a serious emphasis on can we go a step further or two steps further. It looks as if they're going to be playing Tyrone mm. in the in the in the in the quarter final again. But I think they're good enough to beat Tyrone. Uh, I just think that they have capabilities of beating anybody but Dublin. Carl, what do you make of uh, Oshin's point about Jim McGuinness? Do you think he'd be happy enough that his successor and previous lieutenant hasn't achieved another title? There might be a touch of that, but I think uh, Jim McGuinness, like how many years did he spend trying to get the Donegal job, trying to get them up to that back level? I think that might be a little bit tongue, tongue in cheek from us in there. No, it's, it's actually not tongue in cheek at all. Uh, 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 all of ta- all I've heard him talking about is the squad and the squad and the team and the group. And I think he w- he would be disappointed for the group of players uh, and that, but I don't think he'd be disappointed in any way. What about way. for the county? Would yes, he, I mean, like for... Like, w- the what, is the, what is the love of county not override uh, any personal yeah, issues? Pro- yeah, but it, it probably would, but I just I just want to make the point that he hasn't name-checked Rory Gallagher since, and there's obviously a lot of bad feeling there and a lot of bad blood. Mayo, 6.25, Sligo, 2.11. It doesn't look great, Carl, but would you be more impressed by Mayo, 6.25, or more concerned by the fact that they still conceded something? This might be nitpicking, but a couple of people made the point, you probably shouldn't be conceding two goals and 11 points to a team who you're absolutely destroying. I wasn't worried about them conceding 2.11. Like, Makes no they, difference. They'd checked out at that game, even though they were continuing to score, Like so the same emphasis wouldn't have been putting on shutting down Sligo as the game went on, Like, and it's... Why a manager might come out and say after that, yeah, yeah, we were poor there defensively. They're still the players themselves. They see Aidan O'Shea scoring three goals and them running right up front. Like you just naturally ease off a little bit. It was uh, it was interesting just to see how Sligo approached the game. Like recent history in in Connacht uh, when uh, Roscommon and when Galway went in tried to play the Mayo straight up. We got handed serious defeats. Galway got one last year. Uh, uh, Roscommon got one two years ago. So it was surprising to see Sligo approach it the way they did and I wasn't surprised to see the end result. Uh, maybe not the size of the defeat, but I was, wasn't surprised to see it, a heavy defeat from the way they approached it given Mayo the recent past. Aidan O'Shea made the point that he's played seven. Uh, the Mayo players are always having to talk about how important the Connacht titles are to them. I mean, we all know that what they need is the All-Ireland now at this stage, but he's played seven Connacht championships and he's won six, only ever lost one game uh, in the province. He also scored three goals and four points. Uh, and seeing the pains afterwards, I saw one of the quotes that he, where he said, look, people talk about how big I am and how I use my physicality. I like to think I've, I've got a skill set as well that, uh, that I think benefits me more than my size. Uh, I suppose it's probably a bit of both when he's scoring three goals mm. and four points in a game like that. Yeah, like, I think if you just kind of measure him against other big foot forwards in the, last, in the recent past, like, I think he has a little more silkier skills than Kieran Donaghy, certainly. Uh, possibly Donaghy maybe slightly better in the air under with a big strong full back beside him. 
Uh, but O'Shea certainly has got silky skills. He's got a good solo dummy. He's got good hands to slip it off to people. He's got good awareness of where the people are around him, including the defenders. He knows not when to go into the, into the tackle. He knows when to go into the tackle. Uh, but like Sligo yesterday, they engaged Aidan O'Shea on his terms. Like They weren't looking to do things to him like uh, to put him off his game. Like For example, like against Galway, I know... They got a goal off the end of the run, like, but Aidan O'Shea won that ball and went straight for the goal. Like, Galway weren't coming in barreling into him. They were waiting for him to play the ball, and when he played the ball, that's when they dispossessed him. Now, it's just unfortunate he ran into the keeper and he pulled the boot on it. But yesterday, like, Sligo defenders who weren't as strong as him were trying to engage him immediately, physically, and so that's just joy to a big full forward, engage him physically straight away. So, I, I, I honestly can't see Aidan O'Shea being as. Uh, scoring as much or scoring as heavily or being as dominant uh, in the next couple of games as he was in the last two games uh, you're coming up against blanket defences now a lot more physically stronger players he's going to come up against the McGee's or Rory or Carl. they're going to be well able for him and they'll have a lot of support there and they'll know how to deal with him so while he will have some influence at full forward uh, it won't be as to the extent that he has the last two games Well this is the question do you take anything from the Mayo scoreline their ruthlessness the fact that they do have those kind of scores in the bag 625 or do you, do you literally just has it gotten so bad, so uncompetitive in uh, Connacht that you just don't read anything into a Connacht well, final result from it? They'll have to read something into it because that's the only basis that they have going into a quarter final. It'll give them huge confidence. Uh, I think O'Shea is the answer in the forward line. I think he can he can rotate a little bit more between eleven and fourteen, um, and he, he brings them. He definitely brings them something because that's something that they need. They need a bit of strength in there. He will cause damage. He caused damage in Crow Park. He's uh, Carolyn, no better than me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I remember seeing uh, Aidan O'Shea when he was a minor, and he spent most of his time at full forward or centre half forward. And and he has all you have to do is look at his first goal, and you'll see that he's not somebody that they've manufactured into a full forward, and that you know they've had to do a lot of work with. You know, his first goal, he just that one the half second pause. And then slotted into. He the says he watches corner. a lot of football as well. He's looked at other full forwards and seen the kind of things that they do, which is probably not a bad sign in, in any player. Absolutely, and if the, uh, you know, if it's a good sign, especially if that's where you think you're going to be deployed a lot of. And if 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 the management has said to them, listen, you're going to be a full forward. Well, then you go and you you, you you're a sponge. You get as much information on board, and you and you find out the best way to play it. And uh, the good thing about about Aidan O'Shea is that you know. He's had his spell at midfield. Um, you know he's capable of playing at eleven. He's capable of playing at fourteen. And, and I've said this for years. And uh, and uh, here is that Mayo have an abundance of riches at midfield, and something was going to have to give. And he was the obvious player to give and go into that four line. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think you will have to play some some stage at eleven during the year. Uh, like the the influence you want him to have on your team is like what he had the last two games. But I don't think he's going to have that influence in the next couple of games at full forward. Like I think that they'll have to switch him between the two. Yeah, like Oshin is saying, there's going to be blankets in front of him, and uh, there's going to be more pressure out the field. They're going to be coming against better teams. So yeah, he's going to have to go between the two. But certainly, like you saw the evidence last year when he played against Kerry at eleven, like he was excellent from there, winning breaks, breaking forward, drawing the men, and creating opportunities for other people. So yeah, Mayo have it's a good move put him into the far line, but I think they have to be careful on how they use and when they use him in both positions. But certainly they have to alternate between the two. Comes at you at pace, you either you let him through or you pull him down. 
it's, you know you don't have you don't really have a lot of choices unless you have enough bodies back and I think that's the point that Carol's making about Sligo yesterday I mean but if you can if teams like from uh, Monaghan I should say can find a way to stop uh, Michael Murphy yeah. is Aidan O'Shea not in a similar bracket that there are ways that a system could maybe take uh, his personal skills out of the equation to a certain extent absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely they can uh, the only thing is I just think that Mayo have a lot of physicality in round that area and, and I think you know you, Monaghan don't really have like Vinnie Curry's not hugely physical yet he was able to, to manage uh, Michael Murphy just annoys him he's always with him um, and there's, there's a couple of different ways of marking big men and, and Finney Corey's got a different way in that you know he sticks tight to him he's always challenging for everything you know even if, if Murphy's winning it he's, he's on his back and he's, he's challenging and he's, he's, he's done a really really good job because Vinny Corey when Vinny Corey started playing uh, senior football with Monaghan he was full forward as well <laughs> you know yeah, and what's going to be definitely helpful for Mayo is the fact that he has been there for a couple of games he's obviously there and training a lot so they're going from a team that didn't really kick much high ball into their full forward to doing it now a lot this year. So there is a lot of skillful players there like Parsons, Keegan, who can kick that kind of outside the right ball, nice floated in cross field. And the more they're doing that in training and in games, the, the more proficient they are going to come uh, be at it in, uh, in Crow Park. The last couple of years when they threw O'Shea in, it was kind of a last minute, last few minutes job where they hadn't been coached on it during the year and they didn't look that proficient at that kind of... One Just one last thing is that when Aidan O'Shea won it, yes, he was able to round his full back and stick it in the net or stick it over the bar. I think when he wins it maybe against the better teams, he'll have to come out and, he, and that's when O'Connor and, and and whoever else is Freeman or, or whoever else is playing in there is going to have to come off his shoulder and, and sort of, you know, compliment him and, and maybe that's something that they've worked on. They didn't need it yesterday, but maybe that's something they could work on for... Next day, uh, Kerry Cork. How impressed were you with Kerry, and how close are they to where they need to be? Do you think? Uh, I still think they're a bit off where they were last year and where they need to be to win All Ireland this year. They certainly, obviously, have the potential to win it this year, and are going to go very close. Uh, they definitely improved from the first game. Got a couple of selections right, uh, and generally, just their whole attitude and application and energy was way better than the first game. And it showed like they obviously ended up five points ahead of of, of Cork after drawing the last day, and that was that was the, that was a major difference. A uh, couple of the things worked worked well for them. Uh, Sheehan obviously excellent with the freeze on a really really bad night. The Gooch Gooch's influence when he came in was obviously a lot better than the last day, uh, and then just you know they they made sure that they nailed Cork in the places where they had to be nailed. They dominated the midfield compared to the last day when Alan O'Connor was running running the show there. The one concern is the half-hour line for Kerry. They played four midfielders the last day and no midfielder wants to play in the half-hour line and chase half-backs. Cork's half-back line got a lot of joy first half, very pen- a lot of penetration. Uh, and in fairness to Fitzmaurice, he, quick, he quickly remedied it. He took off Buckley after 27 or 28 minutes. So, yeah, huge improvement from Kerry. Uh, there, there's a lot more improvement in them, but they're in a good, good position now going in with lots to work on. A little bit of dampening expectations in the kingdom, but yeah, they're in a good position. O'Shane? The major change they made was they went man for man against Cork the first day because I genuinely think that they were playing the cute hair uh, system in that they wanted to just get through that game, keep the cards close to their chest and bring it out maybe in a quarter-final or semi-final. Dangerous game to be playing, all right, but uh, they reverted back to completely the way they played against Donegal in the in the in the in the All Ireland final. Last I think they're year. happy enough to do that in Kerry now. Just try try to find a way to beat Cork without showing too much. Uh, well, 
I can't think of any other reason why. Like, like well, from now on, even for tomorrow's, whenever he goes into a game, I'm sure against better opposition, like he's never going to play man for man at the back. I mean, that's just not the way he plays. He's he, from the very first moment, and it caused it caused a lot of it ruffled a lot of feathers down in Kerry whenever he started playing the system he was playing. But once he started getting results, uh, people forgive him of it. But you know, he definitely was trying to hold something a little, uh, back the first day against Cork, and he did just didn't quite get away with it. But um, and they've Westmead or Fermanagh next, so they're you know it's one of those where they can float into a semi final without showing everything they have. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and I think the other thing is they've got a hungry Gooch, uh, on you know who come off the bench. He's, he's I read his quote after the game where he said he was he was happy to be part of the squad and, and different things. Like that. But there's no way they'll be holding him back. Come come, yeah. I, I think he'll even play the next day. To be honest, I think he'll probably play a quarter final if it's some sort of part in the quarter final, and then they'll unleash him for the semi. Yeah, I think Jay the Dunne who alluded to that in his after game interview as well about not being sure of his position, like as player of the year, like from last year, you know. But uh, he certainly corrects the balances then as well in, in midfield very well with with Anthony Marr back in, yeah. like having more and she in there I don't think that's a good balance for Kerry first of all you're not going to get your defensive cover and you've got two very similar players who both like to kick who both like to go forward Maher is a real linchman there now from Kerry midfield has been uh, and I'm surprised that he wasn't playing the first day he's there now uh, he's going to give a little more foundation and base for more and to do what he's very good at going forward creating the play whereas Maher is like his currency is primary possession contesting with the other big man uh, and holding that position in the middle Oshin, last quick word No I was just saying I couldn't believe James had done a good man in the match the mm-hmm. game that David Moore had he absolutely he was absolutely outstanding and the reason why I didn't know he got man in the match was because uh, the child was in the house and he had me tortured from the, for the last 10 minutes to watch Peppa Pig so as soon as the game was over we were straight on to Peppa Pig but I didn't realise that James <laughs> I didn't realise James O'Donoghue got man in the match but David Moore put in an absolute awesome performance on Saturday night Oshin, Carol, brilliant stuff thanks a bit no thanks no, Joe, Joe, if he's on, yeah, if he's on, on Joe, hang on, on a second. Well, Doctors kids, do not kids, get thrown to the ground. Hang on, Joe, Joe. No, this is not I'm not allowing you to trivialise it. That's all I'm doing. Trivialising. You have to I'm the hottest round. I told your mother... Y'all can stop me now. Listen to me. All right, now that we've actually talked about Mayo's latest provincial success, I think it's only fair to check back in with our friend, Connacht uh, President, Connacht Council President, Mick Rock, to see how this speech is coming along. Don't forget, we started, in case you're jumping in here and you don't know what's going on, we've started playing Mick Rock's speech, his sort of pre-prize-giving ceremony speech from uh, the big game yesterday. We've just essentially played it along for the last 45, 50 minutes with the volume there. So just, just turn the volume slowly. This is super interesting. We let him go. The Holy Grail. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to our live show from the Sugar Club last Thursday night, do uh, listen out for that. It's the Irish Times Second Captain Sports Night with the Rabo Director, Limerick Jockey Brian Toomey. Stole the show on the night. He suffered horrific injuries when he fell in the race a couple of years ago to the point that his family had started making funeral arrangements. He was back racing just over a week ago. Amazing story, and he told it really well. The crowd were 
were loving Brian on the night. After that show, I bumped into a couple of lads involved with St. Jude's GA Club in Dublin, and I said I'd give a shout-out to a really good fundraising drive that they're doing at the moment. It's called Jude's for Jack. Jack Halbin being a hurler for the club, he was one of the J1 students involved in the balcony collapse in Berkeley and suffered serious injuries. The club are trying to raise money to help him in his recovery. Uh, a couple of things going on from the Dublin footballers. If they get to the semi-final, the last weekend in August, there'll be a book of collection on the day, so look out for that. Also, uh, the Junior Sevens hurling uh, on All-Ireland weekend will be doing a big raffle and a few bits like that. So check out judesforjack.com if you want to donate to anything they're doing and uh, if you want to help out on that score. Uh, in the meantime... Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. Do have a listen to the football show, which is already out. Apologies for being a bit late with this one today. We decided to wait. I mean, we just couldn't. We were waiting on tender hooks to see if Zach Johnson could get the job done. And he did, much to the uh, delight of everybody in the sports and golfing world. Um, yeah, uh, no, I see. Fair play to Zach Johnson, you know. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a brilliant tournament. It was a long tournament. And he emerged. The, he <laughs> the tournament emerged, is now over. He emerged. It was the, actually a brilliant tournament. That's the, that's just a, that's that's why we're all slightly underwhelmed at the end of it. But we will leave it on that note. Thank you very much, Ken. Uh, thank you too. Owen. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.